This is Leaders Lens, the show that reveals what it really takes to become a great leader. I'm Jacob Espinoza, a Fortune 500 leadership consultant and director of creator success at Workweek. Let's go. Transformation, I've learned, never happens alone. Like it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It always wants to bring other people along. And, you know, the mass movements that we see in the world that have transformational leaders behind it, really amazing things that people want to get behind. You know, we've seen them from some of the greats, Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, you know, people like that, Nelson Mandela in South Africa, right? Like it goes from me to we, and the mass movement never starts in the masses. It starts with a, just a handful of people one at a time and moving from there. So it never happens alone. It happens with others. It takes other people along. We are back officially here at the Leaders Lens podcast with my good friend, Chris Pineda, who is the founder of Groundwork Leadership. I'm fortunate to have somebody else as passionate about leadership in the city I live in, Salem, Oregon, as you, my friend, Chris. Thank you so much for making time to be here on the podcast. Of course, I'm happy to be here. I think this is, I'm trying to flash back. I think this is the first podcast I've been a guest on. Obviously, you know, I have a, a podcast as well. You've been on that show and the Rooted Leadership Podcast, and we've had like 70 something episodes. I don't think I've ever been on the other end. So this is kind of fun. That is awesome. I'm surprised to hear that with the network that you've established for yourself, the credibility that you've established for yourself as an expert in the world of, of leadership development. And I would imagine this would be the first of, of many podcasts moving forward, especially as you're expanding groundwork leadership. I was fortunate to go through a cohort that you led in, in Salem, Oregon. We met for one day a month for a year. We talked about the rooted framework for leadership and organizational uh, development. And I'm excited to dive into that with you as well. But it was an incredible experience. It's really been your life's work. And it's been a lot of fun to see it come to life and now to expand in different areas. But before we dive into that, I would love to hear from you about your own personal philosophies for leadership. When you think of qualities that people need to have, if they're going to be considered a great leader, maybe a few people that come to mind that have really been impactful and shaping your perspective of great leadership, what are the qualities and who are the people that come to mind? Yeah, it's a good question. I kind of came into, I guess, the discipline and literature and that world of leadership. I kind of fell, fell into that. Obviously, I, I look back on my life and I feel like I've always been kind of found myself in positions with the opportunity to lead. I don't know how many times in my life that I was successful at it, whether it was a, as an athlete or an school or various roles that I've had. But as I've gotten older and I studied peace building, conflict resolution, psychology, and all of my education. And so I, you know, nothing was really centered around leadership, not until I started my PhD and some of my dissertation work was centered around leadership and specific types of leadership. But all of those other areas of my life and working in with the Arbinger Institute as a consultant, working on various other projects, that I was able to be a part of from kind of a community building, peace building perspective. I, all of that sort of contributed to to how I see leadership personally, how it's influenced our rooted framework and everything that we do in our institute. And, you know, to put it simply, there's a lot more depth to what I'm about to say, but it, transformational leadership, I would say, is really what I'm passionate about. And transformational leadership is an interesting thing because Nothing that I can say to you is going to, or to anybody is going to help them be a transformational leader, right? It might make them think about it, but I have the saying, which many have said before me, but 
transformation is caught. It's not taught, right? So you can't just read something in a book and all of a sudden be a transformational leader. It requires you to catch it. You have to feel it. It's something that you can't really measure. And, and so, you know, there's four things that I always talk about with transformational leadership. Is The first is it has to demand a why, you know, like if it doesn't have a deep purpose, a why that's defined and exact, you know, it can't even really start. So transformational leadership demands a why. The second is it stands on a cause. So something that's bigger than you, right? It's hard to be a transformational leader if you're just aspiring to get what you want, more money, more recognition, things of that nature. Like those are fine and natural things to desire, but transformational leaders, they see much further than themselves. They see beyond themselves. It's bigger than them. So it stands on a cause. If you think of the today's workforce, and Gen Z, like that's what they want. They want to work for a cause that's bigger than them. They want to understand that there's a mission beyond just a paycheck to be part of this organization. They want to feel like they're contributing to something that's much bigger than themselves. So it, it is a place that leaders can really start challenging themselves. Like how clearly am I defining the mission? How clearly am I articulating how each role in this organization is impactful to the mission of the whole? And so I, I love that you, you led with that piece. Yeah. And you've participated in our programming in our institute. So, so you've been in those environments where, you know, I, and now it's been hundreds of leaders that I've been able to ask in a room, like who here has a why that they can define in, you know, 15 words or less, 20 to 15 words or less. And it's amazing how many can't raise their hand. And it's not because they don't have one. It's just because they've never really been intentional about defining it. So, Demanding a why is demanding that you define it, that you put it out in the world. I always say, look, organizations spend boatloads of money and resources and time to develop organizational visions, strategic planning, missions, values, all of those things. But it's interesting to me, you know, especially from a study of human beings and psychology, how we don't do that as people. We spend all this money and time to do it as organizations, but we don't do that as individuals. So I've always been sort of fascinated with that. So demanding a why, standing on a cause, making it bigger than you, connecting it to things that really matter. Those are the first two. This, the third is it goes from me to we. Like transformation, I've learned, never happens alone. Like it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It always wants to bring other people along. And, you know, the mass movements that we see in the world that have transformational leaders behind it, really amazing things that people want to get behind. You know, we've seen them from some of the greats, Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, you know, people like that, Nelson Mandela in South Africa, right? Like it goes from me to we, and the mass movement never starts in the masses. It starts with a, just a handful of people one at a time and moving from there. So it never happens alone. It happens with others. It takes other people along. And the last one is it beats with urgency. You know, you, transformation, it's got a sense of urgency to it. There's no complacency. There's no, hey, I'll wait till tomorrow. Like one of my favorite sayings is if you wait till tomorrow, you lost today, right? Another one is the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is right now. You know, like transformation, it compels you to do something today and it keeps you on your toes. And we're going to have a lot of days where we're imperfect and all of those four things, we're not going to be the greatest at, but the urgency kind of keeps you moving, right? And if it's not the urgency that keeps you moving, it's the fact that it's standing on a cause bigger than you. So you just can't forget it. If that's not the case, it's because you've brought other people along. So all four of those concepts sort of make up for the other ones when you're not feeling it that day. And then, you know, the times when we're really in flow and we're really moving, it's kind of you have this serendipitous moment where all four of those things are just driving everything that you're doing. And I think that's when we really see some amazing things happen. So it's not that those are 
like the recipe. You do these four things and you're going to have a transformational day. Like that's not how it works. Those are just characteristics that I've noticed as I've been a student of transformation and as I've seen it in the eyes and lives of leaders that I've been able to work with. So those are, that's kind of how I at least want to see leadership and try to see it, try to live by. Those that have influenced me are people that have those four elements as characteristics in their lives, whether they talk about it like I just talked about it or not. You know, one of the individuals that, that I've been working with the last few years here, Jason, you know, he's incredible and he knows where his priorities are at and the things that he focuses on are pure and true. And same with his dad, LT, and the things that they've entrusted in me. I mean, there's so much that I've learned from there. Obviously, my dad and other people before me, you know, Chad Ford, who I've told stories about to you, just so many incredible people. Obviously, you know, my wife, <laughs> people close to yeah. A lot of people have shaped who I've become. And even, you know, I've talked a lot about, I'm always pretty open about my cultural beliefs and and uh, my heritage. My dad's from the Philippines and, and I've loved that side of my life. And on my Filipino side, my genealogy doesn't go very far back because when the Japanese occupied the Philippines, a lot was lost. Spain ruled the Philippines for 300, 400 years. And on my dad's, my grandpa's side specifically, you know, to govern a Spanish province, he adopted our, our current last name, which is Pineda, which I have no Spanish blood in me, but it's a Spanish last name. And he had to take on that name to govern a Spanish province. So our, our actual real Filipino last name that we had, you know, four generations ago, we actually don't know what it is. And so our family tree kind of stops there. But I'm fascinated with the culture and I've been trying to learn as much as I can about it. And there's this principle throughout a lot of Oceania and Polynesia called mana. And mana is like a spiritual sort of power that's in every single one of us. And in Tagalog and in Kapampangan, which are the two languages that my dad speaks in the Philippines, mana is in Tagalog. It means it means your lineage and where you come from, right? And pamana in Kapampangan means the same thing. It's your lineage, it's your ancestry, and that's where you see receive sort of power. So there's a lot of people that came before me and I really believe that whether I know them or not, or whether they existed five, 600 years ago, I believe that line impacts who I am and who I want to become and those that will come after me. So culturally, those are beliefs that I, that I have that are important to me. So, and this is probably not a direct, clear answer to your question, but there's so many things that have influenced who I am and who I'm trying to become. No, I love it. I think my dad's side is from Mexico and for whatever reason, we don't have like the same explanation that you do as far as why lineage was lost. But like my grandparents just didn't know or just didn't have access to it or didn't share it with their kids. And so recently my brother has been doing a lot of research on like, where are we from? Just like to understand our roots. And it is just interesting, the power of just knowing where you're from and like understanding that culture at a deeper level so that those traditions don't get lost because... I'm not sure if there's a connection to leadership here at all. So if you on the podcast are bored with this, I apologize, but I'm kind of inspired by this conversation. But there is definitely a power there, just understanding you know, where you've been to help you get where you're going. And Huge connection to leadership, in my opinion. I mean, we're talking about having a why and standing on a cause. I mean, what's more frothed with a purpose and why than knowing you know, where you come from? I mean, there's the famous saying, I, I'm going to slaughter it, but it's what is it? You know, we drink from wells that we didn't dig. We stand on the shoulders of those before us. So, so everything that we are and who we can become, the good and the bad come from, you know, obviously our own choices, but we're greatly influenced by those that come before us. And I think we have a responsibility. It really puts life in perspective. So talking about leadership, you know, 
leadership is so much more than the here and now, you know, the decision that you have to make day to day. Those are important, some of them big and have huge impacts. But when you can understand everything before you and what can come after you, it really simplifies perspective. And for me, it actually alleviates a lot of stress because when we talk about challenges of leadership, I think that what separates a true leader from someone who is not, even if you have a title or not, it's those that can truly manage the burden and the stress and anxiety that come along with it. Where somebody that isn't ready for leadership, and I've been in this position before, I just like vomit all of that stuff out everywhere. I let it happen. I let the anxiety take over, the stress take over, the weight and the burden take over. And to me, leaders are able to harness that and manage it. And if we can see our life as we're just this sort of glimpse in what's before and what's after, even in our organizational lifespan, you know, like there's people that were before us and there's people going to be after us. When you think about it that way, it really simplifies things. And for me, it takes away some of the pressure and the stress. So yeah, even just like zooming out and like thinking about, okay, just in my city, how small am I? Just in my state, in all of America, the world, like the galaxy, just keep zooming out as far as you need to. Then you realize like, my problems aren't that big of a deal, actually. Like this is actually going to be okay. I'm sure we'll, we'll figure, I'll figure something out. That is just a, a powerful tool, just having that perspective to be able to zoom out and give context to what you're going through which can allow you to be cool and calm and collected and make respond to situations as opposed to reacting to things because you're stressed out or you're frustrated or you're overwhelmed in the moment. So definitely emotional intelligence. I think there's definitely a tie between emotional intelligence and what you're talking about. That's just huge for leaders to understand. And it's a skill I wish was taught in high schools, to be honest. And I'm not sure if there's a more valuable skill in just worldly, just being a part of the world, like a, a constructive member of society than just understanding your emotions and not making bad decisions because you're in a good mood or you're in a bad mood. It definitely can happen both ways. And, you know, you bring up a good point. The farther you zoom out, kind of the smaller your problems feel. But the reality is when we're facing a challenge, it can be over, it can consume us, right? It feels like the most important thing. And so while, you know, I think leadership, you have to be able to step back and have that perspective. You also have to have a why and a cause that feels bigger than all of it. It feels like it's the most important thing that you should be doing. You know, I mean, at the end of every leadership session, and you remember this last year, you know, I asked three questions. These aren't my questions. I think John Maxwell is where I heard these questions from, but he was asked these questions. He was in college and I asked the same thing of leaders. And I've had to ask myself these questions to put myself in check. And to me, these are transformational type of questions that we should ask ourselves. And these are questions that help you kind of find that balance between taking a step back and zoom it out, but also having something that's so important that you must do with your life that every um, feels like almost everything depends on it. And the questions are, what do you cry about? And you remember me asking that then to last year, what do you cry about? What makes you sad in life? What hurts you, you know, the most? Like, what do you see in the world that saddens you? For me, it's when people don't live to their potential, starting with me. Like that's the moments when day to day, month to month, year to year, the whole context of my life, what saddens me the most is the times of my life when I didn't live up to my potential. And if I had a fear, it would be that, gosh, what if I continue to miss the boat and I'm not <laughs> achieving my potential? You know, too many of us live far beneath our potential. So that's what I cry about. And it also hurts me when I see other people not doing the same, those closest to me first, right? 
the second is what do you sing about? And obviously it's the opposite of that. What do I sing about? What do I have the most joy, excitement, and happiness about? It's when people live up to their potential, starting with myself, when I'm able to actually live to my potential in some way, become who I want to become, and I'm seeing that I'm changing. When I see other people do that, it also brings me a bunch of joy, makes me sing, you know, not literally, I'm a horrible singer. But I mean, that's why I'm so passionate about leadership because it's a platform that helps me help other people, myself included, achieve potential, become something better. And then the last is, what do you dream about? And I dream about the same thing. I dream about being able to do this more and more with more and more people. So those are questions that I believe are also connected to what I talked about earlier, transformational leadership and questions that help you put things in perspective, but also never lose that sense of importance and urgency. You know, everybody has something that they really believe in. And if you can get to the point to where you want to shout it from the rooftops, it doesn't matter how far you zoom out. It's like, you just want to keep sharing it. I'm excited to share the Rooted Framework with the podcast listeners. This has been your life work and something you've been really passionate about and been shouting from the rooftop for a while. And it's been awesome to see the progression, you know, over the last five years, you've been working on it. So from a helicopter's point of view, maybe give us a quick like summary of what the Rooted Framework is, and then we can, can dive into some of the key components. Yeah, the Rooted Framework, it's how do you simplify what can be really sort of super philosophical, intellectual, almost art, just concepts that are not easy to digest that are, you could write books about. You know, like you, you can, in the literature and research, there, there's so much there. So the Root of Framework was an, is an attempt, and I hope it continues to work. It seems like it's worked for some people, but it's an attempt to simplify some of those things. And we do it through using a very basic analogy, right? So we want to talk about concepts like, like having deep purpose, concepts like seeing people and caring for people, you know, in a deep, meaningful way. We want to talk about accountability. We want to talk about humility. We want to talk about stewardship. And all of these sort of principles that in and of themselves are really complex and vast. So how do you talk about those in a simple way? So we have this analogy we call the rooted framework and rooted, you know, is a play spin-off of what the key elements of the framework, which are soil, seeds, and weeds and fruit. And soil is, and we use that simple analogy because everybody can get it, you know, like we have all seen a garden, most of us, right? We get how it works. You plant a seed in soil, you nurture the seed, you got to make sure the soil's fertile, right? Weeds are going to pop up. You got to take care of the weeds. And ultimately what you're trying to produce at the end of the day is some sort of fruit. Some You're growing something, whether it's a tree, a tomato plant, an apple tree, whatever it is, right? So soil, when we talk about soil, we're really talking about people, right? There's the soil in our organizations. There's the soil in our community. There's the soil in our country, soil in our families, right? There's our individual soil. It is our own sort of culture and our perspective, our set of beliefs, right? So soil is so important. And that's when we talk about accountability, seeing people and deeply seeing, right? Those are the elements of soil. And then we talk about seeds. Seeds are ideas. Everything starts from an idea, right? Like all this technology that we're using right now started from some idea, right? The idea to call leaders, transformational leadership, transformational leadership started from an idea, Everything has an idea. Those are seeds. They can result in products, programs, initiatives, anything. And now you can start to put the two and two together with soil. If you plant one of those ideas within people or an organization or a community where it's toxic, where people are fighting, they're not getting along, where a culture's unhealthy, it's going to be really hard to have that seed grow, no matter how good of a seed it is. 
And so that's what we mean by seeds. And we talk about cultures of seeding or innovation to get the most out of a seed. You have to have humility. You have to believe in it. You have to have a desire, things of that nature. And then when we talk about weeds, weeds is simple. It's con- they're conflict, right? Weeds are simple. It's, it's conflict. And everybody experiences conflict. And most of us have a negative perception of conflict. But conflict can be something actually really ev- evolving. It can be transformational. It can turn con- destructive to constructive. And so we talk about how to do that. We talk about the different cultures of constructive conflict, to be a steward over it. We talk about to embrace it, which is a really paradoxical idea. Embrace conflict, but that's a key element of, of working through. You have to embrace it. The more we run from it, the more we fear it. And when we're afraid, we typically aren't at our best, whether it's we're a person or an organization or a community. So embracing it, understanding it, being a steward over it. And then obviously we talk about fruit as outcomes, results. You know, Fruit are the things that we want to, to both do and become. And there's a big difference between those two things. You know, we can set do goals, do fruit, which is concrete. It kind of has an end to it. And those are important. But I've found that if we set do goals, we have those sort of fruits, the do things, then sometimes we aren't always, it's not always the best of the sort of person we become, if that makes sense. Can you elaborate a little bit on the the do goals? Like, Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I want to make sure that we're, the audience is able to follow yeah, so do goal is something concrete. It's like, I want to accomplish X, Y, or Z, right? I want to make X amount of dollars. I want to move this data point. And that's great. I mean, it's great to have goals, uh, and I'm a big goal setter. But the problem with do with only setting do goals is we're not focused on who we're becoming when we do it, right? Like, I can accomplish a goal, but I can also become somebody that is not the best version of myself in order to accomplish that thing right? And I'll just make it simple. I want to make a million dollars. Let's just say that, right? If that's my do goal, one, the one challenge with it, one of them is it's concrete. It ends. So what next? After I make that million dollars, then what, right? And then if I'm not focused on who I'm becoming, then that do that do goal is going to, it might not drive me to become the very best person, right? And so when I, fo- when I flip it and I focus on who I want to become, then the right do goals fall into place. So an example of a do goal is, again, I want to get a million dollars, right? That's yeah. a dumb oversimplification, but that's an example of a do goal. A become goal is I want to become the sort of person that can work through adversity, right? I want to become the sort of person that when they generate wealth, they do good with it, right? I want to become the sort of person that goes through challenges with a positive attitude. Like those are become goals. And the beautiful thing about become goals or they have no end. It stays with you. It, you've changed, right? You've harnessed something that's deeper than just checking a box. So that's kind of how we talk about fruits in our framework. So, I mean, we have hours and hours of content on the Root Framework, as you know, and I just gave you the splash. I love it. No, it's super helpful just to give people context of, of the value of what you're talking about, because I love the analogies that you've used. And I think that's something I really want to dive into here it are, are, is the conflict piece of yeah. it. Because this is a place a lot of managers struggle with, organizations struggle with, is how to deal with conflict in a healthy manner. I think you see error on two sides where you ignore conflict on one, I, one side, where it's just passive aggression and people are afraid to have conversations and that's extremely toxic and it's impossible for a team to reach their potential when you're in that environment. You also have another side where people are just like literally battling it out and there's just arguments all the time, which I think is a better option personally, because at least you know how people are feeling and 
like you can kind of create a plan from that. But what's a better way? Like what's the, the ideal state for a company, an organization, a community to teach their leaders to deal with conflict? You know, there's conflict styles, which I can talk about for a second. But before that, the most important thing is perception. There was a study, and I've probably shared this with you before. There's a study by European Heart Journal in 2013, I believe. There's lots of studies like this. I'm just quoting one. But they were studying, I think it was heart disease, right? And what were the causes of it? So they realized stress is a big cause of heart disease and physical health. So they had a bunch of participants, a couple thousand, you know, I believe. And on they tracked them and all of these participants had, you know, similar stressors in life, professional, personal, and so on. And they found that those that had a negative perception of stress had a higher chance of heart disease and their health overall was poor and their relationships were, was they actually found were poor, right? So overall their life, when they saw stress as a negative thing, it impacted every facet of their life, relationships to health, mental, emotional, physical health. And others had almost the same type of stressors that saw stress as a positive thing had better health and better relationships, right? And so I have this belief that the attitude with which you go into any situation or the perception you have of any situation will directly impact your experience with it. So the same goes for conflict. You just put in that word. The way in which I perceive conflict will directly influence my experience with it. So if I'm afraid of conflict, if I see conflict as something that is unnecessary, it's a nuisance, it's a burden, and I don't like it, that's an oversimplification. Most of us don't like conflict, but... No, but I, I get what you're saying, though. But I think also adding to that, like how I see the person having conflict. Correct. With, if I perceive them as only a burden, then it's going to be hard for me to have an honest conversation and really truly see, like something you talk about a lot, is deeply seeing you know where they're at, what, understanding their true motivations. Because generally people are approaching problems from a healthy place. Like they want the same things we want. We just have to kind of uncover some layers to understand like why we're seeing things so differently in these moments. The layers are really important, right? Because oftentimes what I say I want or what I say I believe don't always match with how I really feel. And that's what I think, you know, most people aren't willing to have those conversations. A, a great leader that we both know in the community, Allison Kelly, she once told me that, you know, change doesn't happen without a mirror. And so to be able to deeply reflect and peel back the layers and realize that what I say and sometimes what I do behaviorally doesn't match with what I really think or believe, that is really hard work, right? Like there's nothing fluffy about getting to the core of that and making real change. Otherwise, as you know, in our content, we talk a lot about transformation versus transactional. Otherwise, we fall victim to a transactional life. We go through the motions, we just do the things, we check the boxes, and we go on to the next day. And we can treat conflict the very same way, right? And conflict is never resolved or transformed the same way. So what might work in one relationship isn't going to work with another. It requires intentional time and energy to each new relationship that we might be experiencing it with or each new conflict itself. And a lot of literature on conflict styles, competing, avoiding, compromising, accommodating, right? There's one, though, when to answer your question earlier, there's one style that's more effective than the others, and it's collaborating. Because when you collaborate, you're thinking about the needs of others as well as the needs of your own. Like, what's going to be the best solution? And you understand that both of us are going to lose something. <laughs> both of us are going to have to sacrifice. But when one party 
is only willing to sacrifice and another isn't, it's really hard to get to the best place. You can get to some sort of resolution, but conflict is an amazing opportunity to make something better. Like if we can see conflict that way, like it's an opportunity to really improve things. But most of us, we just want it to go away. So we end up with something worse off after, you know, some sort of outcome or result that wasn't truly evolutionary. It was just, we're going back to the old way of doing things. There's even in worst case scenario, something worse. When you can have a positive perspective of conflict, you can actually make something a whole lot better. 100%. I think the other piece to add to that is that it actually allows you to be a better influencer as well, or be more impactful in influencing the people around you. When you take the step of getting vulnerable first, maybe sharing something that you're not, wouldn't normally be comfortable sharing or listening and trying to understand somebody at a deeper level. I think it really, I mean, it definitely starts with the listening piece and understanding your audience, understanding the person you're trying to work with. When you take that moment, it's easier for you to understand that person's motivations, which will allow you to be better at collaborating and finding a solution that's going to work better for them, but work better for you also, most likely. That vulnerability is, it's key, I think, in leadership and it's key in creating change and making things better working through conflict. And I mean, every aspect of vulnerability is so important. And too many of us, I think, misinterpret what vulnerability we're really trying to talk about, which is really an openness. I think Brene Brown talks about the two types, right? When we say vulnerability, the type that we're thinking of is putting ourselves in harm's way, mentally, emotionally, physically. That's not what, I, what we mean by vulnerability, right? We're not saying, hey, go and get yourself hurt. We're talking about vulnerability of, as we say in our framework, in the root of framework, this is the key element of accountability. Be willing to be the first to change. That's what I think vulnerability is. Whether it's, I'm going to be the first to say I'm sorry. I'm going to be the first to change a habit. I'm going to be the first to recognize that I messed up. I'm going to be the first to recognize that I could have done better. It starts with that. And you have one person that starts to think that way, there's a ripple effect, especially if it's the leader, right? Especially if it's the leader, which is hard. Leadership, everybody's watching you. So usually you don't want to admit mistakes. But it's usually, it's always the best thing that you can do is to be the first to change it. The interesting thing about that is like you feel weak when you're doing it, but everybody else sees you as very strong. Oh, I love that. Like when you take the time to like really open up and get vulnerable and be transparent and just share something really personal, like you feel really weak because people are like seeing things about you that you probably like don't always want to share or might not feel comfortable with them seeing, but like when they see that, they see what you're doing and they realize like, man, this person is, that's pretty courageous to like be able to step up and make have that sort of a conversation. Can you think of a story or something you've witnessed where a leader took that step and it ended up having an impact or maybe it wasn't even a leader, just a person that took the step to get vulnerable and it allowed them to reach a desired outcome? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of the people that I was, thinking of earlier when you first asked me when we started to record you know a lot of those people come to mind some people are vulnerable not by choice you know they just their life is i've had a perspective of their life that maybe others don't have and so realizing that there's a real authenticity to maybe what we see on the outside has been incredibly helpful to me i've had a leader that that I've shared, I've shared this story, I think several times on my, on my podcast, I don't need to retell the whole thing, but essentially my life was in a dark place. I thought my marriage was going to end at, at one point and it was really difficult for me. And it, I, I thought, you know, there's no way out of this, but I had a leader at the time that they didn't divulge everything that was going on in their life, but I knew that they struggled 
in their marriage. And one day he said something to me out of vulnerability because it was an area where he failed, right? He told me, he said, if you don't make your wife, who he knew my wife, right, as well, he said, if you don't make Kenzie a part of everything that you do and you don't stay a part of everything that she does, then all the things that I think you're capable of of doing and becoming, I don't know if you'll accomplish as many of those things because he was speaking from his own experience and he ended up, you know, getting a divorce and separating. And so his vulnerability, I didn't see it as weakness or failure on his part, right? Marriage and relationships are hard. So there's no judgment there. I, all I saw was this guy's telling me something because he's lived it and he's on another side of it where I might just be starting it. And this was early on in my marriage. And gosh, that meant the world to me. It, had he have had this facade of a perfect marriage and perfect life, that wouldn't have stuck with me. It was the fact that I knew he was real <laughs> that made it matter to me. Like that was the key. And I think that we need more of that in the world. We need to show that we're all imperfect people just trying. And some days we try harder than others. Some days we mess up. Some days we do really well. But man, if we understood that and saw that in one another, you know, one of my favorite quotes from Henry Longfellow is if we only knew the secret history of our greatest, even our greatest enemies, we would find in them enough pain and sorrow to disarm all of our hostility. Like everybody is going through something. Right now, you're going through something that I have no idea about. I'm probably going through things that you don't know about. And looking at the hotel across the street, all these people stay. I mean, everybody's carrying something. And if we could be a little more vulnerable, not by just sharing like, hey, I'm, that's not what I mean. But if we can be vulnerable in the fact that we can be the first to change, a fellow leader in the community, Paul DeMunis, who was former Supreme Court of Oregon, he said something once, and he's talked about it at big luncheons when he spoke and that I really like. And it's that you can't judge somebody by the worst thing that they've ever done. If that was the case, then all of us wouldn't really have a shot. <laughs> so uh, the idea of vulnerability to me is being willing to change first. Because what you said was beautiful. It helps other people when you do that. It actually, they see you as strong, not weak. And I think that the reason why that is because they see themselves in it. Because everybody struggles. So when you share something first and you're the first to change and you admit a fault, I see it as a strength because it's an inspiration to me to realize, crap, he makes mistakes too. You're telling me that he messes up. You're telling me that he struggles sometimes to be motivated. I feel that way too. And so you become something you become a leader in my mind. You become somebody that I want to pattern certain aspects of my life after. Man, I'm rambling a lot. Usually I'm on the other no, side. No, this is great. I'm letting you go. This if, this, is... if this was not engaging or boring, I would have cut you off a long time ago because I want these people to, <laughs> to stay in tune to the podcast. But it, it was it was super valuable what you're sharing. So I, I really appreciate it. And Chris, people that want to stay in touch, want to listen to the podcast, where should they be headed? <laughs> oh, my podcast? Yeah, we haven't been as active as usual, but you know, iTunes, Spotify, it's called the Rooted Leadership Podcast. If you, you know, you might see a thumbnail, an ugly clip of me or something, but uh, yeah, we've had a lot of amazing guests, community leaders, as well as some best-selling authors, some thought leaders. I mean, we just had Ellen Bennett on our show. She's the author of, I think her book is here. I don't want to slaughter the title of it, Ellen. Ah, oh, crap. I don't have it in my, in my office uh, right here. I don't want to slaughter the title, but I think it's uh, dream first, plan later. Uh, amazing. She's started an apron company that's taken off. I mean, she's just incredible. So we had her on there, but then other times we'll have, an, I call them everyday leaders, like leaders here in the community that are hustling right out, right down the street. 
So we have a mixture of, of people and we don't just talk about leadership. Sometimes we get into other topics, but as you know, a student of leadership, everything sometimes gets connected back to leadership. So hundred percent. Yeah. Awesome. Chris, well, I appreciate you taking the time. Super valuable episode. Make sure you check out the podcast because they have some great episodes on there. I have one that I had a lot of fun with Chris on there as well. So we'll leave a link to that in the show notes for you to check out. Alrighty. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening to the show. Don't miss another episode of Leaders Lens and the inside scoop on becoming a great leader. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love Leaders Lens, please tell a friend.